Hello and welcome to the Swimming Ideas Podcast. My name is Jeff and I will be your host for today. This is episode number 89, Safe Children That Love Swimming with Julia Johnson. That's right. Today we're going to talk about how you can teach a better parent-taught or parent-and-infant class with your swimmers and your staff. We're going to review training opportunities, essential songs and skills, as well as our philosophies on how to effectively teach swimming best to our participants. One of the biggest things that I really enjoy about Julia Johnson is her perspective on catering to the mental and physical well-being of every child and how she builds that into every facet of her swimming program. Join us today for this interview conversation with Julia Johnson, and I think you're really going to get a lot of great information about how you can start running a better parent-taught class. Let's get started after this brief message. I have Julia Johnson with me today. Uh, she grew up in Michigan where she learned to swim during summer swim lessons by going to the beaches and pools in Michigan. She swam competitively in high school and then completed a few aquatrathons, swim triathlons, and 5K swims in the years after graduation. Julia studied mental health and social work in college and realized that her passion was building mental health through swimming and coaching. Over the last 17 years, she has worked for country clubs, community education programs, schools, athletic clubs, and finally found her way to the YMCA of Memphis and the Mid-South. During the last 17 years, she's been coaching and leading staff, program design, launching new programs, teaching swimmers, three months old to adults in their 90s, adaptive lessons, coaching middle school, and age group swim team and master's. Julia is passionate about the physical and mental benefits that evolve from swimming and especially enjoys helping the youngest of our Learn to Swim participants and their parents. Welcome to the Swim Ideas Podcast, Julia. I'm glad to have you here. Thank you so much for having me, Jeff. You're very welcome. So if you could just, I know we summed up your life in about 30 seconds here, but can you just tell me a little bit more about yourself and then um, how you kind of got started into swimming? Sure. Um, I, I was very fortunate. I believe that my parents provided me the opportunity being in Michigan. It's um, a little bit more than norm to do swim lessons. And so I was provided that opportunity. And I had a swim instructor actually who would continually tell me I had the same swim instructor year after year. She said, when you turn 16, become a lifeguard, I'll give you a job. When you turn 16, become a lifeguard, I'll give you a job. And eventually, I ended up swimming in high school. Um, I was previously doing basketball and soccer, uh, but had some knee problems, so started swimming instead. And then I went ahead and became a lifeguard and a swim instructor, and the rest really just worked itself, itself out as I realized that the physical, the emotional impact that I had with developing staff, with participating with kids and swimmers. And I think it really hit me when I was coaching middle school swim team. And at the end of the year, all of these kids seemed so thankful for what I had done. And I felt like I hadn't done really anything. <laughs> 
except for sit and yell at, you know, coach, sit yeah. and tell them what to do. And I realized the emotional impact that that had on them. And I think that's when it clicked for me that my real calling was to mix my two passions, uh, which was mental health and swimming, and just really look at how does swimming help our kids grow? Mm -hmm. And how does that also interact with developing our team and our employees? So between, between the two, my path seemed really, really clear and I started down it and I really have not looked back since. That's great. I, I, I really like how you talked about, um, you were coaching the middle school. I kill, I coach that age group now, like right butting up into it. And I have for most of my coaching and I don't, I don't remember when it was exactly, but there was a point where I, I too was like, wow, you, you guys really are thankful for all the things that I do. And I'm like, but I didn't really do much. I just told you, you know, where to swim and how to swim without really realizing how much compassion goes into teaching someone how to swim better in a way that like you may be yelling to be heard, but right. it's not, but how do you do that in a way that is conveying that you care about their personal development? And then that's the emotional response that they're responding to when they say, thank you for everything you've done. It's, it's not that thank you for telling me what to do. It's thank you for pushing me to be a better person or making me do something I didn't think I could do or giving me the courage to face a situation in a race or with anxiety and give me the strength. You know, it's all those secondary things that we don't necessarily think about right away that they resonate with. And that is one of the, I think one of the best parts of our job is being a swim coach or a swim teacher aquatic professional, I like to call it. Um, so absolutely. I'm sorry. I said, yes, absolutely. That's exactly where, where I think those of us who are lifers, I think that's where we, mm -hmm. we find ourselves is realizing the emotional side to it. Yeah. And then when we have our staff and we start training people to teach lessons and do what we do, then we see and a lot of those people are 15 16 17 a lot for me at least a lot of them it's their first job and so we have that same responsibility to almost you know guide them through becoming an adult at some point so uh, outside of their parents right mm -hmm. yep i say that all the time is that really with training staff and i know that's not what this conversation is about but mm -hmm. you do you take kids that primarily have had extrinsic forms of motivation or have their parents telling them what to do and you're teaching them how to find intrinsic motivation, how to want to do a good job for the sake of doing a good job, how to connect with people, how to report that they need time off, you know, take responsibility for themselves in a different way mm -hmm. and showing them how that really relates to, to the real world. It, it makes it sound a lot more daunting, you know, than it is a little bit, but it, it comes pretty naturally. I feel, um, what, what about, uh, when you're training staff, do you, let's focus this on like parent taught. Do you train, let, let, let me just restart here. 
Tell me about the parent top programs that you've had in your experience. And then I want to kind of talk about how we train our staff to teach those classes. And then, cause I think one of the things that'll tie in here from what we were just talking about is, um, having that maturity of a 15 or 16 year old. And if this is the case, teaching a parent an infant class, like how do we get to that point? But Tell me a little bit more about your experience with the beginner swimmers. And um, I think this is kind of where your passion lies. It it, it is. Um, I'd say I'm truly passionate about all of it. I think kids under the age of five, they always have a special um, place, I think, in my heart. (laughs) Um, So my parent taught program has evolved, I think, a lot over the years. And I was 15, 16 when I first started teaching it. So I somewhat remember those days as well, where it was more of just songs and games. And as my education and experience level grew and I started to understand child development and the more I understood child psychology, it really helped me to mold my program into something that made sense to me. So it wasn't just having babies work on reach and pull. I saw the bigger picture to the gross motor skill is that there was a gross motor school skill that would later be used in swimming, but it also was helping their physical development to be able to move right then left and right then left. Um, that's really good for developing brain patterns. Um, and neuron connections in the brain, which later helps their, their development in say math. Right. Mm -hmm. So really understanding and growing my knowledge base of not just what was I doing and how is it benefiting them as a future swimmer, but how is it benefiting them as, as a child Hmm. helped as well as starting to see how could I take psychology and bring it into the swim lesson world. So Ooh. babies really like consistency. Okay. So keeping something consistent, um, all of the kids shows, right? They all start with the same song every time. Yep. Most of them end with the same song every single time. Mm-hmm. And they have a similar pattern that the program will go through. Think really popular things like Sesame Street, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Barney. So if I always start, I'm very big on starting with the same song and ending with the same song. Um, My go-to is I always start with Wheels on the Bus and I always end with a song called TikTok. Oh, what's the TikTok song? (laughs) <laughs> I have a terrible voice. I always preface that when I teach a swim lesson too, too. but it, um, it basically goes TikTok, TikTok. I'm a little cuckoo clock, TikTok, TikTok. Now I'm striking one o'clock. You raise the child up and down one time. And so Ooh. as you're going back and forth, you have that side to side pattern. You can get the kids, um, jaw bones or their cheek wet or even their ear wet, uh-huh. uh, depending on their level. And then depending on their level and their comfort level, you can either hold the child really close and kind of raise up on your toes mm-hmm. to give a little motion. You can just raise them up and down. You of course have the parents in the class that practically throw them up. Yeah. Uh, occasionally they're going underwater at the end of it. At the end of the day, it's probably one of my most, um, popular songs the kids Mm -hmm. love it 
That's so it great. always ends, even if they've had bad moments during class, I'm a big believer in ending the class on a positive note. Mm-hmm. And there's a way to make that song fun for everybody. Every kid always wants to sing it again. They want to sing it at home. So in my theory, it ends with them on a positive note. It always ends them with the same positive note and something that they look forward to coming back to. That's great. I, so, I really like it. I was smiling while you were singing it because <laughs> it is pretty catchy and the rhyme kind of threw me off, but it, it was really good. I yep. was wondering so, like, where it went and I was like, oh, this is great. <laughs> yeah. So you do you do one o'clock and as I preface it, when I teach parents to, especially the first couple of times, it's their own little workout because they get to you know, pick their mm-hmm. kid up. Um, but we do one o'clock, two o'clock and three o'clock, two o'clock, you go up and down twice, three o'clock, three times. And, okay. and then that's it. So yeah. not too, it's not, you're not going all the way till 12. That would take yeah. probably the whole class. Exactly. Yeah. We do the hokey pokey at the end of all of our classes. Okay. So yeah. it's like the same thing. I say, we're going to do three of them. We're not going to do the whole body and different iterations of it. So, right. but yeah, it really, it heavily leans on that same thing that you were talking about is, um, ending on a positive note, but more delighting in the movement and the regularity and the expectation of something. And then you can make small changes like your right hand and your left hand, or someone is being thrown up only a little bit of the way or more of the way. And it's based on the parents, um, understanding of their own child's comfort. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and then sometimes you have to, there's that one parent that you're like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 your child is screaming. Like, don't throw them in the air. (laughs) Yeah. So I think setting the stage is really important in all of that. And before you get to a song like that, you've set the stage hopefully pretty well by that point. Yeah. Um, so what, tell me about like, um, your first day teaching a parent out, if you can remember that. Um, I don't necessarily remember mine when I first taught, but I was 16. That's when I first taught parent taught. And I was pretty scared because I'm like, oh my God, these are parents. Like, why are they going to listen to me? And my manager sat me down and said, look, they're coming to swim lessons because they don't know what you know. And you've gone through training. You, you've looked at this, you know, we've shown you what to do, do what we've trained you to do. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I, you know, went through my day. But tell me about your experience with that. What did you, how were you thrown into it? Um, You know, it's funny that you use the term thrown in because isn't that what we do with most of our aquatic stuff, especially, especially back, I think, 10 plus years ago, Mm -hmm. um, the amount of training that we got was not a ton. I, so my mom set me up, honestly, I think pretty well for that. Uh, She on and off throughout the course of my life ran a daycare and early preschool, which I guess gave me a little bit of a a leg up. I had a lot of experience, whether that was being in our church nursery or helping out with my mom's daycare. I had a lot of experience by the time I was 15 or 16 with small children. Mm -hmm. Um, I think my swim instructor that I had when I was personally younger, so probably 12, 13. She let me kind of hang out and be an assistant teacher in those types of classes. So I felt like I knew what to do, which was good because I don't think I was given much of a lesson plan. Okay. 
but I think I was the only one brave enough to teach that class. And that's why it was assigned to me. It wasn't necessarily that I wanted to do it or I felt super comfortable, but out of the group of 16 year olds that we had, I was the only one who knew songs or was willing to give it a shot. I was like, I, I can do it. Yeah. And then I remember afterwards feeling frustrated. So I didn't necessarily feel nervous going in. It was more afterwards. I was like, I felt like I didn't have good class management, which at the time I didn't even know that, that was a word or a term or a technique. Right. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know, the parents look at me really weird. I feel like they're expecting me to say or do something. I don't, I feel like they're looking at me like they're not getting what they want. Yeah. And I, I don't know what's missing. And my director had a very similar talk with me and was like, they're coming to you. They're paying for a reason. They may know how to swim, mm-hmm. but for some of them, this is just something fun where they can be in a social environment mm-hmm. and participate with other kids and others of them. They don't know how to teach their own child how to swim at this age. Like you're the one who knows how to do this. So even though you're 16 or you're, I can't remember if I was 15 or 16, I think we were able to work at like 15 and nine months Mm -hmm. as long as we had a waiver sign. So I feel like I was just barely there. Mm -hmm. Um, But you know, like you're, you're the one who has this type of education who studied this and so that they are, they're looking for you for your expertise, even if you're not a parent yourself, you have the experience with swimming. Mm-hmm. And um, I just got really intentional. I did not like that uncomfortable feeling. So I got really intentional with trying to figure out what I needed to do to feel more confident and have those parents not look at me like they weren't getting what they wanted. Did you read books? Did you do stuff on your own? Was there a training material that was at the program that you were teaching with? What did you do? You know, I'm not 100% sure. I know there was not a lot of training material where I was because me and a friend of mine actually went through, at 16 years old, went through a WSI class. Yeah. Wow, that's together. Um, I think it was when they just changed the age from having to be 18. They had just lowered it to 16. Okay. And we both turned 16, I think, during the class. And then we rewrote the program that we worked for. We rewrote their curriculum and the levels that they had. And we were the ones who trained the instructors. Wow. Great. (laughs) So we were, I was, I was learning and I think that had something to do with what helped make me successful is I, I had to learn not only how to teach it myself, but how to teach somebody else mm-hmm. all at the same time. So I think I just did some research um, myself and mm-hmm. I took the WSI class um, through American Red Cross, which was also helpful mm-hmm. and started to really just look at my own classes and analyze what did parents respond well to? What did they not respond well to? What, what would I want and try and put myself in that position? Mm -hmm. And, um, I started coming up with the conclusion that a lot of it was just knowledge and understanding, um, possibly easiest way to relate it is 
with say a group exercise class if you've ever taken a group exercise class and um zumba is one that stands out for me i'm not personally like a zumba person um, but those dance type of of aerobic classes they seem very easy for people to feel frustrated with if your instructor's not good at cueing oh, okay um and so if you don't know what's going to happen next Yep. If you say you put your hand up, but you don't say what hand, like there's a delay. Mm-hmm. And so really being able to start saying, this is what we're going to do. This is why. And then kind of cueing parents in. Mm-hmm. So for example, when I do wheels on the bus, I'm demonstrating and I tell them, okay, you know, you'll watch my hands. I'll have a pretend baby in my hand often. Um, and I've taught before where I've had a real plastic, you know, in the water baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, but often I just use my pretend imaginary baby <laughs> and I'll go round and round. But before we get to the wipers going swish, 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 I'll stop, you know, half, half to a second early. And I'll start doing the swish, swish, swish to remind the parents uh, with my hands that that's what we're going into next. Hmm. And it was as I started to realize, you know, parents want to know what are we doing and why are we doing it? All right, guys, we're going to start off with wheels on the bus every class. We're going to start off with it because it's a great water adjustment song. It helps us all get into the right mood for the day. So telling them why, even if it wasn't every reason why, telling them one or two reasons why we were doing that song. Mm -hmm. Um, Telling them one or two reasons Uh, why we were going to keep the child in a prone position to kick and try and get them to kick with straighter legs. Yeah. I like Uh, that. I I like that a lot because we know that as, as you're when, like if you're teaching teenagers, if you're teaching adults, they want to know why they're doing something. They don't like the authoritarian we're doing this. And then that's the end of it. And no explanation why they want to know, well, why are we doing wheels on the bus? And why are we doing this motion? And why are we holding our kids in this way? And even like you said, a simple statement, and it doesn't have to be the whole, all the reasons why, but at least, you know, one or two really good ones, then they can take that and go with it. And they can be like, oh, we're doing this for this reason. And they'll be able to see the bigger picture and then be able to buy into your program because you're now giving them reasons behind the 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 things that you're doing and and adults and and teenagers too to, when they're learning tend to really like that and I like how you said that. I just wanted to go back to the um WSI course cuz I took that too but when I was 18 cuz it was I had to be at that point and I really liked it because it gave me that behind the scenes stuff. Like, why do we do it this way? Why are we doing it like this? Like, why do we, why should you even do a wave type versus a one-on-one type of interaction? And what are the benefits of it? Because at my local pool, we didn't get any of that because it was just do this activity, do this activity, do that activity. Um, And jumping around here, I like how you're saying, parent taught is about giving cueing and the Zumba class was such a aha moment for me when I heard you describe that because I'm thinking 
if I went to a Zumba class, I wouldn't know what to do. And like you said, if the instructor said, put your hand up, I'd get frustrated because I'd be watching the instructor the whole time and not doing the activity because I wouldn't know what to do. And then I was trying to, and then like the moment you said that, I kind of connected it with parent taught. I'm like, ah, you know, this is exactly what makes a good parent taught teacher is someone who is confident to say, this is why we're doing it. This is the reasoning behind the skill. Um, how else do you cue during your parent taught classes? Like if you're teaching, what else do you throw in or maybe what's the progression like for your skills? You know, kind of what's, what else do you do? Sure. Um, so different skills sometimes do have different progressions. So I like that you, you brought that up. I work on things like conditioning or peekaboo, things that have the same skill, just like for teaching a, a preschooler to go underwater, right? You have going underwater to your chin, to your mouth, to your nose, eyes all the way under, and then where they're truly comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. So classroom management is really important in a parent-child class. And I think that can be really challenging to figure out how to round up parents sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so I find just being really clear with the communication that we're giving confidence, communication and cueing seem to be like, that's your big three for wanting to teach a parent child class. So I'll say, all right, we're all going to meet here in a middle, in the middle and do X, Y, and Z. And so maybe we, all right, our next progression is that we're gonna go ahead, we're gonna work on our prone kicks. You're gonna have your child hold on to your shoulders facing you like they're giving you a hug. If I have some kids who are uh, less shy and might come to me, I I frequently will grab or ask, you know, somebody, hey, can I borrow your kid really quick? Uh, do that all the time. So trying to figure out how we're going to do that as we, you know, social distance and I can't do that anymore. I'll probably go to bringing like a baby doll almost into class, which I've seen some other places do and demonstrate the position. Okay. I want you to go ahead. You're going to move around. We're going to kick around. We're going to do this for a few minutes. And then after the few minutes is over, I've walked around potentially helps people, um, with with their kicks Mm -hmm. and then i'll be like okay everybody do you know one more kick down and we're going to meet in the circle Mm -hmm. and it kind of gets them back together i'll say okay now we're going to work on this and for getting ready to go underwater you're going to make sure that we're utilizing the same keywords so before i take a kid underwater i actually have the water going over their face as it would in the bathtub Mm -hmm. So I'll talk them through, this is what you're going to do based on your kid's comfort level. So if they're only comfortable with the cheek and the back of their head, that's where you're going to spend most of your time. Have a little bit where the water goes down their face. You're going to be really excited about their progress. And so breaking it down, what each level might look like Mm -hmm. to give them what they need to work on almost as we break up and they work individually. So it's a whole bunch of, these are your options. 
go work where you need to. And then I go around and kind of check on everybody to make sure that they're meeting their kid kind of where they're at and not being too easy or too hard on them kind of. Mm -hmm. And then we group back up. If I'm going to group back up to sing a song, I'll say, all right, let's everybody grab a spot on one of these two walls. I want you to place your back up against the wall. One foot on your opposite knee creates a platform for your kid to sit on. You're going to set them on your leg with their back to your chest facing out towards me. So very detailed, descriptive, and I show it. Mm -hmm. So I say it, I show it, and then I kind of set, set myself back up. I really like that. I haven't done that back against the wall, opposite knee on your foot for the platform. That's a great, that's a really, that's a really good idea. I like that. I like also how you said the confidence, the communication and cueing are kind of your, your go-to for being able to run a good parent taught class. Um, I, I, I like how it's, it's very concise, but very complicated at each one you know how do you get to that confidence and it's like experience and uh, trial and error and training communication and we were talking about this earlier being able to effectively cue say what you're about to do um, that's I guess that's cueing more but even saying to parents this is what you're going to be doing in the next five minutes you're going to do this progression you're going to do these skills here's why and then here are the variations based on your ability I really like that a lot. Um, what kind of drives your choices? Like if you were going to write a lesson plan for this class or like come up with a progression, what is the like, what's your main motivating goal? Like what do you want to accomplish out of this class? Sure. So that's complicated in its own right because children in that zero to three age bracket develop so quickly. There's such a huge difference even in between a four month old and a 10 month old. Mm -hmm. So to me, similar to how each other skill has its own progression inside of the final skill, you're teaching the parents how to pinpoint where their child is and take them to the next stage Mm -hmm. while trying to explain what the big picture is so that they can see what they want, want them to do. I think the purpose of a parent child class or having swim lessons for kids under the age of three is really the physical and the emotional growth that can happen And so that is everything from working on those gross motor skills and the body positions, right? We know how important having a good prone body position is Mm -hmm. to being able to do a front glide. We know how important water acclimation and being truly comfortable with their head being under the water is to being able to do a front glide or to be able to swim freestyle. Mm Mm-hmm. We know that them being able to roll or pivot um, to do a back float is very important to their later development. So teaching them those basic foundations that really comes to them being comfortable in the water is important in driving the skills that I'm going to teach. Um, 
I think having the emotional bond and growth and making a fun experience for them to love the water as well as it's quality, bottom line, it's quality time with a caregiver, whether that be mom, dad, aunt, uncle, whoever mm-hmm. cared to bring them there. It's typically 30 minutes where their phone is somewhere else and they are giving their attention to this child. So I'm helping to facilitate them having a positive bonding moment, which I think is really important. Um, and, and keeping it fun. I think there is a safety aspect. So I like to look at teaching back floats because that does help to keep them safe later on. I also like to teach rather than just teaching jumping in, I like to teach jumping in and then also teach like a peekaboo or a wall grab. So I'll What's put a peekaboo. So I will put a toy on the side of the wall or sometimes um, maybe if two parents came in. Mm-hmm. So because every so often you have mom and dad want to both come in and yeah. that's really fabulous. Put one of them on the wall. Um, the child faces their, their back to the parent's chest with the parents back to the wall. And they turn towards the wall to peekaboo at their toy or the other parent and grab a hold of the wall. Got it. Um, Well, what does this teach us? One, all babies have a natural reflex to grab things that are put into their hands or their fingers. So we want to start getting them to grab a hold of the wall. Yep. Um, Most, I mean, the bottom line is most drownings happen very close to a wall. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, very close to land. It's typically somebody who wasn't even supposed to be in the water slips and falls in. Um, and these kids that are under the age of four are our highest age group um, to be at risk. So if they were to slip and fall into the water, if they're acclimated and comfortable in the water, they're less likely to panic if they enjoy being in the water. Um, and then if I can teach them to be able to turn towards the wall and reach to grab a hold of something, uh, it just gives them that, that better chance that they're going to be able to do that in a real life situation. And so working on jumping in, so we work on jumping in, but then we add jumping in with a turn and wall grab. Mm-hmm. And so the different progression, so to me, there's, in the makeup of a class is actually fairly complicated because you're working on parent bonding relationships, creating a fun acclimating water experience with gross motor skills that are building a foundation as well as really honing in on what are some safety skills that make sense at this age group for the type of risk factors that this age group presents. What you just described kind of dis- like encapsulates why I find swimming so interesting is because there are these multiple layers of complexity that if you care to investigate them like you and I do, then it gets really interesting on the choices we're going to make when we're writing a swim lesson pr- plan for someone else to teach a class or when we're teaching the class ourselves and we're talking to the parents and we're saying, you know, we're going to do this progression of skills because it has a safety component. There's this 
and we're probably not going to be saying, and this is for your, um, I can't remember the word you just used, but the, 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 um, bonding experience between the parent and the child. Um, I really like how you said without the, there's no phone for 30 minutes cause they're in the water and it's this dedicated fun experience, but it's all these layered complexities, um, that make it really interesting to look into and kind of decide where you're going to move with your next thing. Um, what was the, the last thing you're, you were talking about how, um, you know, being able to, that safety component, uh, teaching it to the parent as a part of the progression. And then that kind of informs your choices on when you're choosing what skills to do. What does that carry over to games or songs that you play? Do you also consider that and like how it fits into this? Uh, sure. So the songs that I typically do that have a little bit more of a safety component would be like your pancake song. Mm-hmm. So that um, have you heard that one before? I have. But can you do a brief reminder? <laughs> sure. It's to the tune of I'm a little teapot and mm-hmm. basically goes, I'm a little pancake on my back. I'm a little pancake. Nice and flat. I'm a little pancake on my back. Flip me over just like that. And <laughs> the key to that is showing and explaining to the parent how to flip the child over. Yeah. Yep. Uh, <laughs> as well as how to have them lay on their back. Right. You mm-hmm. have more of your cheek to cheek position where the child's head's resting on their shoulder if they're a little bit more timid Um, you could have the child more with their head to the parent's chest you can have them extend it out you can have just a couple fingers underneath their head wherever the child's at so I make sure I break all of that down based on what I see in the class in front of me if I have mostly kids who are afraid I'm going to stick with the first one or two parts of the progression Mm -hmm. if I have more advanced kids then I might stick with more of the advanced options um, or just offer a couple uh, based on what my individual class is. So explaining them how to hold their kid, then explain, you know, how to roll their kids. So then not sit up and roll over to actually Mm -hmm. try and get them more of that sink the shoulder, sink the hip Mm -hmm. and roll them uh, without putting their face under the water unexpectedly or unwillingly. Some two-year-olds might choose to go ahead and do that but how do you go ahead and hold on to the child so that way you have some type of control you don't let their face go under the water and make it a bad experience for them Mm -hmm. um then you do i'm a little pancake on my tummy i'm a little pancake nice and yummy (laughs) i'm a little pancake on my tummy roll me over and pour some honey and then you're rolling back to your back float those are awesome (laughs) so then you can add kicks and it also a lot of these kids unless they're really small babies most kids don't like being on their back as much anymore i've noticed that happens about the time they start to roll over on their own or crawl really about the time they start crawling doing a back float is not as much fun in class so adding games or songs to it adding um helps to make it a little bit better when you're rolling from front to back and back to front, it's changing it up. Mm-hmm. You're adding a fun song with it. Kids are a little bit more likely to tolerate it um, and to think that it's fun. If I'm going to go ahead and put a toy on the child's belly and tell them they have to kick it from one wall to the other, it, it gives them something to do and it makes it fun where they want to be on their back and they have a purpose versus just trying to force 
a kid who doesn't want to do a backflow to do a backflow. Absolutely. Uh, what, um, what's your like of all time favorite song or game or activity in a parent talk class? You're, I mean, I think you said, uh, TikTok was, was the crowd favorite. What's your favorite? You know, so I have a pretty expressive face and personality. Sometimes when I teach a parent child, actually most of the time, I will say parent child class completely that 30 minute lesson can exhaust me the amount of energy that I put into it oh, most days. Totally, yeah. Um, Bumblebee for some reason has always been my favorite. I do it most classes, um, and I have them do the scoop. And so they're doing the reach and pull. I'm bringing home the baby Bumblebee and then the ouch, it stung me. And I just make it kind of like a big funny deal. Mm -hmm. Can you describe it a little bit? Sure. So you have them, I have the parents sit kind of against the wall with their back up to the wall. And their child sitting with their back to the parent's chest that helps the child feel more comfortable and puts them in a good position to to learn from. And so I'm actually in front more of classroom teaching at that point. And so we do our reach and pull arms and we do, I'm bringing home a baby bumblebee. Won't my mommy be so proud of me? Or, you know, sometimes I change it up and I make it dads if it's more dads in the class or we'll sing it twice and do moms one time and dads another time. And then it goes, ouch, he stung me. And I make it like a funny ouch, not a scary. So I'll be like, ouch, he stung me. Oh, my goodness, that (laughs) bumblebee. And I'm showing my hand and this little spot. And I'm like, let's smash that bumblebee up, right? And we get really excited about it. And then we all start like smacking the water in front of me. And the other thing that I think is really important in a parent-child class is as the instructor, you need to be demonstrating just as much and the kids, you know, getting wet as mm-hmm. the kids are and as you want the parents to be right. Absolutely. So yeah. if you want the parents to be okay, if the kid pours water on their face or they get splashed, then you got to be okay with it too. Yep. So I'm sitting there and splashing, you know, smashing up this bumblebee. And then I go, Oh my goodness. It made a huge mess. I don't know about you. Like my mom doesn't like it when I make these messes let's clean it up. And then we kind of do like a, um, almost like your windshield wiper. You kind of wipe your hands back and forth across the top of the water. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so we, we clean it up and then we go, okay, all clean. You know, my mom's super, it's, it's a fun song. It works on some water acclimation skills. Yeah. Uh, you get a little bit of gross motor skills with the reach and pull. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a really fun, engaging song. I love it. It, it. What I like about it is that it's this pretend world that you make real by interacting with it in front of the participants. And the kids, if they're watching, will love, like I, I can just see them laughing and smiling and loving this game because it's the shared make-believe, pretend, fun thing where you're doing these goofy, silly... Th- I mean, you're you're flailing around in the water, splashing water, and then you're cleaning up the water afterwards. Like, I, I think it's fantastic. That This is one of the coolest things I've heard of. I haven't heard of this before, so this is really neat. Um, what, uh, 
Like, what are your go-to toys or any, like, props that you use for parent-taught? And really, this could be for any of your lessons as well. But what do you, like, recommend that everyone gets one of these things? Sure. Um, so you have the option, like I said, if you, it's either not safe or you're not comfortable or you have a class of very shy babies that might not allow you to borrow a, a demo baby, you can always have a prop baby doll, you know, one of those water babies mm -hmm. that you can show and demonstrate to parents. Um, as far as actual class toys, my biggest things is having like those little water cups that you can pour. Um, you do like the bucket head with them, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. You're pouring the water over your head. You're pouring it over their head. Uh, to me, rather than taking a child under the water initially, I like to have the water going over their head. Mm -hmm. I tell the parents very specifically, um, you don't like it when water's just dribbling on your face. They don't particularly care for that on theirs. So fill the water only up a little bit and pour just a small amount over their face very quickly. Mm -hmm. And then you can start to increase the amount of water going over their head. I recommend they get those and practice those at bath time at home. Yeah. Um, and then I think like the little water float toys, and that can be the little dolphin shaped squirts or little plastic balls, really any toy that's engaging that you can play peekaboo with, that you can give a ride on your belly to, um, or possibly, you know, hold up overhead uh, while a baby's doing or a small child is doing a back float. Um, mm. They're also really good if you have like older classes, we'll do the, re you know, we'll throw them in reach and pull to go get um, like those little toy floats. Yep. If There's you know a game we play called uh, throw a toy and get it. <laughs> where yeah. it's literally, you just throw a toy and then you go get it doing a front or back float. So, yeah. Yeah. And it, that's a super fun. So we've even done them where I've had them do jump in peekaboo at the wall so they they do a complete jump in turn around grab a hold of the wall then they get their toy then they get to throw their toy then they get to swim to the toy put the toy on their belly and kick back like if you've got a really advanced class you can sequence like all of that together oh yeah yep. um and then they they get to do kind of a little bit at their own pace as well um so those really the cups and the toy that will float is probably most important to me. If I had to teach a class with nothing, I could. Mm -hmm. um, but those to me are absolutely any good program should invest in those. Yeah. Um, noodles are okay for, and sorry, and let me say that for the cups and the pool toys, there should be enough for each kid to have one or two. The cups really, I, I say each kid needs to have two. Mm -hmm. one for them to hold and one for their parents because if we're oh. wanting the parents to put the water on the kid's face the kids have to have one to hold and i've had occasional kid who has to have one in each of their hands in order for the parents to have one in theirs <laughs> um so when i pass those out i will usually put them on the wall um scattered around the pool i'll have the kids kick to go pick out their cups and i let parents know pick one for you pick one for them because oh, I already cool. know if, if you're trying to use it, they want it. Mm -hmm. yep. um, 
and then noodles are great. You could have one or two. You can do like London Bridges songs mm-hmm. with a pool noodle. Um, or if you're at one of those places that has like the pool mats sometimes for, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking more older parent child mm-hmm. classes, uh, the one and a half to three year old age bracket where they can sit and do the back float or maybe a little bit more independent kicking on their front. You can put several um, of those several kids sometimes on one mat and they're able to go ahead and kick. Mm-hmm. Um, they're a little on, on, we have a couple, they're pretty on, I don't know, they're flimsy. Uh, but we do the London Bridge with the mats, and it works really well. Yep. So those are bonus props. I don't think you have to have those ones, but there's definite use to them. All right. So it sounds like you're saying stick with the little water cups or like buckets, and then the floating toys are pretty probably the most essential ones that you use in every lesson. Yes, Great. I use those every class. Great. How do you, what's the first thing you, like one or two like key things that you train or you tell your trainers to, to get, make sure your staff does in the parent taught class. So like one of the first things I say is like, don't be afraid of the parents. Like they want to know what to do. Like they're looking to you for guidance. So be calm and confident in that. Like if, is that something you echo or is there something else you make sure that everyone that's teaching a parent taught class knows before they do? Sure. So my parent taught classes, I'm probably a little bit more particular about um, who teaches them and people get a little bit more training uh, from, from somebody like me specifically before teaching it. Mm-hmm. Um, I will take them through the sample lesson plans and highlight at least a few wise, maybe not for every skill. Um, and I, I do, I kind of teach them the confidence, you know, to be confident about it, even as, so what I haven't mentioned is I actually have a, a five-year-old son as well. Okay. And I've, I've done all of this stuff with him. And I mean, he's, he's a good swimmer, hmm. but when he was little, um, before he could, before he could walk, and I may have even started even before he could crawl. I did gymnastics class with him. Wow. You know, like I just felt like it was something he would like at however, six, seven months old. I was like, he would like gymnastics class. <laughs> Tumbling? <laughs> like. I, like, and the kid couldn't even walk. And I'm, and it was, I thought swim lessons, um, like work in the area that I was, I thought swim lessons cost a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, nothing like what I paid for gymnastics class. And I looked at why was I willing to spend this type of money and what did I want out of the class? And I took the class because it was fun. It was something different that I didn't know about. And there was whys behind it. So we did this thing called flagpole with the, these kids and it helped to work on their, their core muscles. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't even like walk or crawl because you're like, why would you take a gymnastics class? This yeah, kid it's... can't even walk or crawl, right? Mm-hmm. Like that makes no sense. Yep. Um, and I think a lot of parents sometimes think that with swim class, well, there's no way that my six month old can swim across the pool. Why would I do that? Mm-hmm. So 
having that family environment, letting people know parents are somewhat doing this for the social environment. They're doing it because it's fun. So don't be afraid of them and make sure you clearly communicate, have a lesson plan. Do not go into a parent-child class, especially if you have not been doing one without a lesson plan. That's true of all lessons, but particularly you have to have some type of guidance when the parents can be looking at you and you're feeling kind of scrutinized. Yeah. I mean, I use my lesson plans now because it's been, you know, six months. If I swap in to teach one, I'm like, oh gosh, what should I do? So I, I use a lesson plan when I'm teaching parent out right now too. So yeah, I I really agree with that. And I'll usually, I usually have a template Mm -hmm. and I'll be like, you're going to pick your opening song. And if you're teaching this session, you're going to always have the same opening and the same closing song. And I'll walk them through how to lesson plan Mm -hmm. their class and making sure that they know their order, their progression. So how to have confidence, how to build their good plan. And then I usually will have them co-teach with me. It would have to be like a weird extenuating circumstance for me to not have somebody Mm -hmm. co-teach with me first where while we're teaching, I'll say, okay, did you notice when I did wheels on the bus that before we went from wipers to the doors opening and closing, I stopped doing the wipers and I started doing, so I'll show the other instructor how I'm cueing. Mm -hmm. I will show the other instructor how I give directions and make sure that rather than me just doing it and expecting a new instructor to pick up on it, that I'm explaining did you notice how I did that? Mm. And then having them maybe co-teach with me and saying, okay, you're going to lead this song, this song, and this activity. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to lead the rest. I found that when I do that, similarly with me and, and like if I'm training a new assistant coach or training a new swim teacher, they, there's a lot of anxiety about making a mistake. And I tell them, I'm expecting you to make mistakes. This is your chance to go through this and fail at it. And afterwards, we're going to talk about those mistakes and then how you can get better in the future. And if it's something really egregious, I might stop you during the lesson, but generally I won't. Do you have that uh, similar conversation with your participants or how do you kind of mitigate that defensiveness that teenagers or even post-teenagers tend to have? when you're correcting them about their teaching ability? Sure. Uh, So I think I have that throughout all of the training course. Mm -hmm. And so by the time to me, they're teaching parent taught, or I'm starting to train them on teaching parent taught. I've taught them several other things to that point. Okay. Um, I typically start off in my new hire training, whether it's a lifeguard or swim instructor, Hey, you're getting this amount of time right here. You are not going to remember all of it. Mm -hmm. You're going to make mistakes. Um, which means you have learning opportunity, right? Yeah. Um, so rather than it being a mistake, like you're doing a learning opportunity, I also, when I'm being thorough, will remember to say my way might not be your way. I mm. can give you my experiences. I can give you things that have worked really well for me. And at the end of the day, sometimes when I give you feedback, I'll say something I may have done was X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean you did it 
wrong. That just means, hey, in case you ever need to fall back on something or your plan doesn't work out for you, this is something else to kind of just keep in your toolbox. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes even when I'm giving, I'll I'll preface and let them know, sometimes when I'm going to give you feedback after evaluating a class or watching you teach, it's to just give you more tools in your toolbox. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll let you know if there's anything where it's like, hey, we really do need to look at changing this. And this is why. And letting them know, yeah, with, with 17 years of experience, I've, I've made the mistakes. Like yeah. I was 15, 16 teaching and having to figure this out. So I think having that real conversation with people as you're training them is really important. I'm really glad that you brought that up because I think that's something that can easily get missed. And sometimes even if I'm going through the hire process really quick, we know we really got to hurry up and train an instructor. Mm -hmm. We will forget that. Um, I like to think sometimes I notice that they're getting uncomfortable and then I backtrack it Mm -hmm. and make sure that they know, Hey, you don't have to sing every song I sing. Your opening song and mine doesn't, have to be the same. I really um, like that. I like I like that opportunity for freedom. Like I think I talk about this a lot. It's like you have the framework or the guardrails in place and within that framework is a lot of flexibility. Like it sounds like you give your st- people that you work with and train a lot of free ground to go- to do things how they please um as provided it falls within, you know, the, the, the essentials. But oh, like yeah. you said, they don't have to sing the same song that you do. You like this song for your reasons, but maybe they and their style, a different song would be better for them. I really like that opportunity for freedom. Um, uh, absolutely. I've learned some of the cooler things that, you know, I've learned, like I've learned tips and new games and new activities from instructors and them having that creativity. Yeah. Yeah. So absolutely. There's been times where I'm like, Hey, like I have never seen that game before. or I've never seen it played that way. Mm-hmm. And that was really awesome. Yeah. And it'll become almost like a best practice where we'll, we'll change that. So I think for instructors, teaching instructors, it is really important to make sure that they understand the why, if they understand the why behind that skill or why you would teach it that way, mm-hmm. then they can make sure that their style fits the why, even if the how is a little bit different. Does that Ooh, that That's sense? really good. Can you say that again? <laughs> um, I hope so. So when part of the reason why teaching instructors, and I think this is true for anything, right? So mm-hmm. if you have lifeguards, When I do my lifeguard new hire orientation and I'm talking about the rules, their copy of the rules that they get has the rule and why it's the rule. Interesting. So when I'm teaching instructors how to teach a swim lesson, you're seeing why that skill is important or what you're looking for. And when the instructors understand the why, the how can be different and the how creates the activity of accomplishing the same goal. Got it. I'm writing this down because it's really good. This is like gold. Um, 
what else do you want to add? I mean, we got one more two minutes here. Is there anything else that you want to hit that maybe we missed as talking about kind of your experience and parent Todd? I mean, we talked about um, the mental and uh, physical benefits of swimming, which I think we could do another conversation entirely about. My gosh, uh, I, yes. <laughs> you could do a whole series oh, on yeah. physical and mental. I mean, mm-hmm. for all ages, right? Absolutely. Yeah. But is there anything that maybe that today you, you kind of wanted to highlight or go back to that we missed? Um, I think highlighting on the same fact of, of what we just did that they have to make it their own class. Confidence is really important. And so being confident in the songs or the activities that you pick and the skills that you teach, and if you're not sure on anything, there are resources for you to find out Mm -hmm. and for you to grow your knowledge. And then I think for empowering and looking at the reasons, again, the reasons why behind the class And the thing we didn't spend a ton of time talking about is setting the stage with the parents. Mm -hmm. One of the things I always make sure to start out new classes or to let new parents know is that they do know their kids. They know when their kid is having a rough day. We all have off days. We have off days as adults. The kids are gonna have off days too. So let those off days happen. If the activity is not working and you can't make it a fun environment where they're learning something while having fun, then peel off to the side and just give them some extra attention. Make the Mm -hmm. skill fit where they're comfortable, where that child is comfortable, but also where you're comfortable. If you're not comfortable taking your child under the water, your child's not going to be comfortable going under the water. Yes. Right? Mm Mm-hmm. So you have to work for what works for you, what works for your child and know where they're at and know where they're at that day and letting the parents know when you're in this class, it's not to force your child to do X, Y, and Z. We have an overall goal that we're going to get there. Each kid's going to get there in their own time and through their own process. And it would be a disservice to them to push them any further faster than what is going to work for them. Because at the end of the day, we want a safe child who loves swimming. Yes. Yep. So that's wonderful. Yeah. I I really like how you, you really laid that out pretty clearly. That's something that I think I explicitly say to when I'm teaching a class, but I don't know, is always delivered by other people that I'm training to do. Cause sometimes I think I forget about saying that or teaching that aspect there. That's, I'm really glad that you said it that way. And especially the way you said it, make it fun and enjoyable and then give them a chance to peel off to the side and give that child the attention if they need it, instead of forcing this activity down your child's like when they don't want to do it like that's, I think that's a great way to end. Um, because it, it kind of encapsulates everything. It's, it's our over your overarching goal and theme and and correct me if I'm wrong here is you want to create a fun, loving environment for young and infant swimmers with their parents to 
begin the lifelong journey of swimming and it should be done in a fun, enjoyable way. And Correct. yeah, with enough time, we're going to get there. Uh, yep. It's just a matter of, you know, when are we going to get it? There's not, it's not a race. It's a marathon, right? Oh, it's, a sw- it's an aquathon. Or an aqu- there you go. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I, is there anything else you want to add in addition to that? Otherwise this would be it. No, I think, I think that uh, gives us a pretty good foundation to, to give to most instructors and instructor trainers. Absolutely. So thank you very much, uh, Julia. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much.